You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. AWS and Google Cloud are back up after unrelated outages. A German automation tool manufacturer discloses a ransomware infestation. Mobile malware in the spy's toolkit. The FBI's protection voices share election security information. Notes from Security Week's 2019 ICS Cybersecurity Conference. NCSC's annual report. And people have things to say about backdoors, bribes, and those aliens at Area 51. Chemtrails, too. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 24th, 2019. Amazon Web Services sustained a distributed denial-of-service attack yesterday that affected AWS for some eight hours. Google Cloud also encountered difficulties on Tuesday. Computer Business Review says there are no indications the two incidents were connected. Both AWS and Google Cloud Services report they've now returned to normal operations. Pilz GmbH, an automation tool manufacturer with headquarters in Germany, has disclosed that it continues to recover from a ransomware incident that began on October 13th. ZDNet says the ransomware was BitPamer, with business but not production systems affected. The effects are being felt across Pilz's international offices. BlackBerry Silence's threat vector has an account of how mobile malware has assumed an important position in the cyber espionage space. Several nation states actively engage in this form of spying, and the researchers emphasize that this is neither a novelty nor a niche effort, quote, but a long-standing part of a cross-platform strategy integrated with traditional desktop malware in diverse ways across the geopolitical sphere, end quote. Beijing, Hanoi, Pyongyang, and Tehran have been particularly active against both Android and iOS targets, and they all show a troubling degree of sophistication. Many of these efforts have their origins in highly targeted work against specific targets, and many of those targets are domestic. The U.S. FBI has given Congress an overview of election security preparation. The Bureau is doing the sort of investigative work one would expect of it. It's also got some new initiatives for sharing information, notably protected voices, a series of videos that addresses election threats and risks. Security Week's 2019 ICS Cybersecurity Conference began its final day this morning with a discussion on the convergence of safety and cybersecurity. Dale Maloney, OT leader of Honda of America, brought a manufacturer's perspective. Ben Sterling, Vistra Energy's lead, Generation Cybersecurity, contributed a view from the energy sector. It's a developing system, and as Maloney pointed out, we still tend to rely on dragon slayers. He asked the community to think through education that can take personnel from zero to hero. 
Sterling thinks education has to approach cybersecurity from both sides, bringing control engineers to an understanding of IT security and IT personnel to an understanding of controls. Quote, you have to approach the problem from both sides of the coin, end quote. Senior leaders in manufacturing companies are interested in consistent plant stability and a reliable product, and that's how they need to be approached on matters involving cybersecurity. Four interesting side observations were made on safety in cybersecurity. First, the panelists have found it useful to get their control engineers' certifications because those were important to establishing credibility with the IT side. Second, they find it more difficult to get the IT types oriented to and familiar with control engineering than they do familiarizing the control engineers with IT because, quote, the IT types don't like it. They're used to air conditioning. There was much laughter at this second observation, which suggests control engineers were heavily represented in the audience. Third, the IT types need to find your stuff cool. If they can be induced to take an innate interest in the control engineering space, you've got a much better chance of working together effectively. And fourth, thinking in terms of safety as driving defensive priorities can be foreign to cybersecurity personnel who came up through the IT ranks. Bear this in mind when familiarizing them with plant controls. A presentation on smart cities and specifically on how IT and OT join forces to defend them drew attention to another cultural gap the speaker perceived between two communities. Trend Micro's William J. Malik is skeptical about assuming that convergence happens in this sector. Instead, he sees the evolution of hybrid forms. He also sees the IT and OT communities as having very different assumptions about the longevity of systems. Architectural decisions we take today can have significant consequences decades hence, and in Malik's view, the IT community is not yet comfortable thinking in those terms. We'll wrap up our coverage of Security Week's 2019 ICS Cybersecurity Conference tomorrow. We found the conference interesting, as always, and our thanks to Security Week for inviting us to Atlanta. And speaking of ICS security and critical infrastructure, I recently spoke with Dave Weinstein, Chief Security Officer at OT security firm Clarity, about the security of critical infrastructure and whether there are common misperceptions in the public's minds. Most of what we read about and think about uh, with respect to cyber threats to critical infrastructure involve uh, the electric grid, right? And indeed, uh, those threats are real. The, the electric grid is vulnerable in some respects to some of the most sophisticated uh, nation-state cyber actors that are out there. Uh, but at the same time, it's actually a, a pretty resilient uh, infrastructure, at least here in the United States. Um, what does not get enough attention is all of the other critical infrastructure with respect to our manufacturing facilities, our wastewater treatment plants, our refineries, oil and gas pipelines, there is really kind of a, a broad spectrum of, of critical infrastructure out there that is impacted that are that are equally, if not more, vulnerable to uh, to malicious exploitation. There's a lot more out there other than uh, than the electrical grid. The IoT phenomenon or the Industrial Internet of Things phenomenon, IIoT, is introducing more and more opportunities for actors to to gain and maintain access uh, that just weren't there years, you know, one, two, three, four years ago. 
When you consider the security of our critical infrastructure from a national point of view, how much of the responsibility for uh, the upgrades, for the maintenance, for the security comes from the operators themselves, and how much comes from the federal government? You know, as somebody who who spent a fair amount of time with the federal government as well as the state government, I can say with with pretty high confidence that the onus uh, or the majority of the responsibility resides with with the owners and operators of the networks. And that's largely a factor of the degree of private ownership of our critical infrastructure in the United States, right? With 85 to 90 percent of our critical infrastructure residing in private hands, owned and operated by private companies, the government is just is just limited in terms of their capacity and authority, quite frankly, to protect these systems. Now, there's uh, well-documented uh, opportunities for collaboration and public-private partnerships, but I think it's fair to say that uh, the asset owners and operators themselves uh, have to take responsibility for for this function. And, and quite frankly, from my vantage point, it seems as though they are. Especially over the past couple of years, there has been a skyrocketing awareness of the problem, of the risk. I've found that that organizations are really taking ownership of this, uh, as opposed to waiting around for, for the federal government to provide a solution to them. That's Dave Weinstein from Clarity. The UK's National Cybersecurity Centre, a GCHQ unit, has released its 2019 annual report. The NCSC says it handled 658 cyber incidents over the past 12 months. The most attacked sectors were, in order, government, universities, technology companies, and managed service providers, with healthcare and transportation sharing fifth place in a dead heat. The report's tone is modestly proud and customer-friendly, featuring easily grasped case studies in the explanatory framework it offers. NCSC has, since its inception, significantly been a public-facing organization. In the U.S., one sees NSA's new cybersecurity directorate assuming a similar role. It's not a precise counterpart. The cybersecurity directorate remains, as we've been told at Fort Meade, a combat support organization. But its recent public advisories suggest that it's on its way to assuming, in partnership with Homeland Security's CISA, a role similar to the one NCSC has had in the United Kingdom. In what's presumably not an admission against interest, Huawei's global cybersecurity and privacy officer tells ZDNet that, you know, it's probably easier to bribe a telco executive than it is to backdoor equipment. So... Don't sweat the back doors. Hmm. And finally, newsflash and stop the presses. Edward Snowden's memoir, Permanent Record, is out. And while flacking his book on The Joe Rogan Show, Mr. Snowden told Mr. Rogan that during Mr. Snowden's time working at the CIA, Mr. Snowden poked around to see whether the U.S. government was in contact with space aliens, was lacing the sky with chemtrails, and so on. There's nothing to it, he says, so you can take that to the bank. Or so he'd have you believe. No alien contact, no chemtrails, and he says trust him. If there were, he'd know, and he'd give it to you straight. Well, Art Bell, thou shouldst be living at this hour. Who knew Ed Snowden would practically out himself as an Air Force stooge? Head in the sand, sheeple. At least there's no debunking of Bigfoot. And remember, the truth is out there. 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Craig Williams. He's the head of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Craig, it's great to have you back. Um, You and I have spoken about Emotet before, and uh, you all recently posted a blog post about how Emotet is back after maybe taking the summer off. What's going on here? Yeah, so Emotet is really interesting. Um, I didn't realize this until Jason and Bill and Colin put the blog post together. Emotet's graduated Hmm. Emotet is off to college. It has has been five years since we discovered Emotet wandering around the internet. Huh. Um, So that's that's kind of amazing. You know, you don't normally see banking Trojans still out there chugging along after five years. You know, normally through one means or another, something happens that changes the behavior of our adversaries, be that law enforcement or them giving up or moving along. Uh, or just, you know, potentially losing access to it through some sort of technical glitch. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been five years out. There's a banking Trojan. We've covered it at length. Um, if you've not heard of Emotet, I really encourage you to go to the Talos blog and click on the Emotet tag and read through the last several posts. It's very interesting. It's one of the longest standing banking Trojans out there. It does some really interesting email. You know, I think, I believe... and. Feel free to call me out on Twitter, uh, Security Craig, if I'm mistaken here. (laughs) Oh, oh, believe me, they will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think Emotet actually pioneered the type of spam reply where you reply in the middle of a chain of existing 
conversations. Hmm. Right? You know, like, you get a spam email, and, and even grandma nowadays is kind of leery. Like, I don't think I really am getting emailed by a Nigerian prince. Mm-hmm. Right? But on the other hand, if you've got an email chain open with your friend, and someone replies back pretending to be your friend, and is like, hey, I saw your email. You know, I just realized it hadn't been a while since we caught up. Uh, check out this attachment I included. I really think we should go there next Friday. Mm-hmm. And so you look at it, and it's titled, like, Boat Adventure, you know? And you're like, huh, that might be legitimate. You know, maybe my, my friend does want to go out on the lake this weekend. Right, right. But the reality is they're generically named. Now, why do you suppose Emotet has lasted this long? What, what, what makes it different from other campaigns that have come and gone? You know, I, I think it's a combination of ingenuity and the fact that the attackers seem to be meticulous. Um, they don't make a ton of blatant errors, and they don't seem to rush things. They seem very patient. And I think when you look at the types of malware campaigns that tend to succeed, it's one where the attackers are fairly patient, right? They take long breaks. They let the trail go cold. They pick it back up when they're ready, and they continue their campaign. And every now and then they innovate and change things up a little bit. So we're dealing with uh, professionals here. Yeah, I believe so. You know, if you look back at this particular one, it was after some of the uh, some credential thefts, and we actually saw a massive number of runs in our ThreatGrid product. Uh, if you're not a Cisco customer, ThreatGrid is basically our sandbox. Um, and you know, as we're looking at malware samples, we obviously don't detonate everything in the sandbox. You know, that's super expensive, and it's you know the most resource intensive for us. But we do detonate samples every now and then because we need to see how things are being run. Hmm. And, you know, over the last year or so, we've seen tens of thousands of Emotet runs. Hmm. And so what was really interesting with these is we would see, you know, um, usernames and passwords of email accounts coming across, right? Uh, And I think the number was just under 350,000 different username and password uh, combinations. Wow. And so if you go back and look at our blog post, we even have graphs of the type of activity. And then more interestingly, the number of passwords that are being reused. Uh, Jason basically did uh, some analysis on passwords that were being reused. And what was really interesting about this is some seem to be really, really unique. Hmm. So, for example, uh, one of the ones that was reused over 300 times was media and then the at sign 2018. So you got to wonder... What organization was using that, and how did they have over 300 people compromised? And that so, is interesting. Yeah, and so we see a lot of that. And so, uh, you know, it's always one of those side effects of doing malware research, right? You start looking at malware, you start looking at data theft, and all of a sudden you have insights into the type of defensive strategies the users have been shown. And so, for example, when we look at these passwords of all the ones stolen, like the, the high, let's call it the greatest hits chart, mm-hmm. Although I guess if you're a victim, maybe that's not how you'd like to look at it. But <laughs> right, a wall of shame. Yeah, yeah. Like the greatest hits on the wall of shame. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll notice most of them tend to involve a sequence of numbers, and so hmm. I, I think that's fascinating because that means even the highest offending victims these days appear to at least have knowledge about password training. Right, Their passwords are words, a symbol, and then numbers. Hmm. And and we see that multiple times. Now, what's really interesting is several 
several of the times, it's the same symbol and sequence of numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's like, you know, some word, the at sign, and then one, two, three, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we see that right. over and over and over again. Um, so what that means, I think, is, is a lot of people are having password training. The problem is the password training has got room for improvement. Yeah. You know, when you train your users, you know, it's important that you highlight the fact that, look, you need to look at a password manager. You know, let those passwords be randomly generated. Yes. Human brains are not made to remember this type of thing. And if you do need to remember a password, perhaps don't use one, two, three in the ad sign. Maybe go for something a little more creative. Well, the blog post is uh, Emotet is back after a summer break. Uh, it's a nice little uh, brush up on the latest uh, on Emotet. Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.